The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the first jewel claim. Oh, it's a photo of the Derby! Mystic Sam! The race for the Triple Crown erupts into an epic party. The Preakness Stakes, May 18th on NBC and Peacock. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Third down and 10, 33 seconds left. Shotgun snap, three-man rush. Watt throws long pass down the far sideline, caught over the shoulder. It's grabbed, Smith and Jenga, touchdown, touchdown. Hurts winds up on marching spiral near sideline, broken up, may have been intercepted. There's a pickoff, it was. Love has picked off the ball. Seattle is intercepted. Hurts. What a game it was last night. We only have two hours to break it down. I feel like we could fill the full two hours just talking about an unlikely and unexpected classic Monday night game. It's Tuesday's PFT Live. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio, who with you. We're just six days away from Christmas, five shopping days, or six, or seven, or eight, depending upon how loosely, we went over this last week, how loosely you interpret the term Christmas and, you know, there's no mistaking this fact. It dawned on me this morning, Miles, as I was shaving. It occurred to me. Last night was the last normal Monday night game of the season. And I hadn't even mm-hmm. stopped to consider that. Next Monday night is a Christmas night game. It's not a normal Monday night. Christmas Day is that one of those days where it loses the sense of what day it is. It doesn't feel like a Monday. It's not a Monday. It's Christmas. The following weekend, there's no Monday night game. The Monday night game was moved to Saturday. Lions and Cowboys. I'll take it, but it's not a normal Monday night. And then the playoff game. Playoffs? January 15, Monday night game. That's not a normal Monday night game. Last night was the last normal Monday night game of the season. And I didn't realize it at the time. I'm not saying I would have appreciated it more. I still appreciated it, but it's over, and I didn't even realize the end was nigh. Well, I think that's your fault for not necessarily looking at the schedule, correct? I mean, Possibly. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I was I, aware I, I, of it. I just hadn't considered the implications. You're right, exactly. And, you know, you should never do something because of the implication or whatever that uh, Always Sunny quote is. But I, I think it's one of these times now where it's like, oh, no, the football season is winding down. And it's like you're excited because who doesn't love the postseason? I mean, it, the NFL postseason to me is the best. But 
at the same time, it's like, oh no, I don't, I don't want football season to entirely go away. And that's one of the things where it's like, oh, it's the last regular Monday night game where you're just kind of like, oh, uh, we are coming down to the wire and it's great. But at the same time, I'm going to miss, you know, most of the other teams when they're done in their, uh, in their regular seasons. Yeah. And 20 of them will soon be done. 14 will remain and the Seahawks went a long way last night toward being one of the 14 and avoiding being done just three weeks from yesterday when we'll be sorting through the aftermath of the 2023 season. By the way, there's snow on the ground here for the first time this year. And I didn't know it was supposed to snow. I was more concerned about high winds and getting home from New York. I had no idea I was going to be coming home to winter wonderland, but it was great. I come up the stairs to my studio. That is the attic above my, my garage. Mm-hmm. And there's a window, a small window that lets me look down to the barn and the land out there. And the Christmas lights are still on because it's on a dusk to dawn thing. And it's still dark here at nearly 7 a.m. And the Christmas lights reflecting off of the white snow surrounding oh, yeah. the barn. It just if you know, if I wasn't so old and curmudgeonly, I actually would have had kind of a <laughs> spiritual moment looking out the window. Oh, yeah, Mr. Scrooge. All right. Getting into the Christmas spirit over there. That's great. I don't know what snow is. I live in Southern California, so we're just getting prepared for a bunch of rain this week, which may or may not you know, affect my travel plans out of here as uh, the Christmas holiday comes up this weekend. So we'll see what happens. There, are, are, you yeah, going, are you going home? Are you going home to Cleveland? Are you going home to I Cleveland? Am. I am, yes, but it's not supposed just to be a white hours Christmas. away by car, and you're not going to visit? You're not going to visit when you're in Cleveland? You're Certainly not. not. And visit, hang out? No. Okay. No. My well, buddy lives in Buffalo. I didn't, I didn't really closer. invite you. I didn't really invite I you. I was just curious if you were going to come anyway. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. No, I, I don't Spe- really plan of, on doing that, speak- but sure. <laughs> speaking of Scrooge, speaking of Scrooge, uh-huh. one, of my, one of my Christmas traditions is to read every year, every year, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, every year, 33,000 words, quick read, fun read. Don't tell me how it ends. No spoilers, please. But, okay. uh, yeah, that's, 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 part of, that's part of the reminder, don't be a miserable old bastard and <laughs> enjoy the Christmas spirit while you can before the ghost of Christmas future puts you in the ground and, you know, shows you the tombstone. Okay. Let's get to it. I don't the think I've actually Seahawks ever read it. Could have been put in the ground and they shown do. the tombstone. It's actually very well. It's, it's obviously it's very good. Otherwise, yes. you know, it wouldn't. Have you wouldn't have multiple became, movies okay. off of it. Seahawks avoided being put in the ground and being dragged there by the ghost of Christmas future last night. At least for now, staved it off potentially. There are now five teams at seven and seven in the NFC. The Seahawks are one of them, and. I guess we start at the end and work backward. We're not at the very end. The Drew Locke drive, 152 to play. First and 92, as Joe Buck said, which was kind of inaccurate. I didn't want to be a stickler, but it's not really first and 92. You got 92 yards to go to win. It's it's still first and 10. First and 92 is a little insurmountable. You got more than four plays to get there. But his point was they had to drive that far with less than two minutes and one timeout to try to win the game. And – You know, I want to focus on the very first play because I've seen this happen time and again. If you watch enough football, what you see is one of these late game drives. There's an early opportunity to slam the door. And just through 
Twist of fate, bounce of ball, pops in the air, doesn't happen. Asante Samuel drops it, whatever the case may be. That moment doesn't become the slamming of the door. And I feel like something happens in those moments. I can't quantify it. It's not conducive to analytics. There is no empirical evidence on which I can support this statement. There is just a feeling that when that happens, the team that avoided disaster suddenly says, screw it, we should have just lost the game anyway. And the team that could have had the victory with the carom and the interception gets a little like, "Uh uh-oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. And they come together, and there it goes. And I said that to my son last night. One of the few occasions I articulate it when that moment arrives. I said, Alex, how many times have we seen this happen where there's a chance to slam the door and that's the kick in the ass the other team needs. And the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire and old Pete wins the game. Yeah. And, and you know, it reminds me of the 2021 uh, NFC Championship game, right? The 49ers have a chance to intercept Matthew Stafford. They don't do it. Rams end up winning that game. And it's just one of those things. Like you said, you see it all the time. And somehow the football gods smile down on one team and they frown upon another. And Kadarius Tony is probably wondering somewhere, why in the world can't that happen to me? Where if I don't drop the ball, usually, you know, the the player intercepts it. Why can't it just fall to the ground safely like that? But it did for Noah Fant and for uh, Drew Locke. And then they just start getting going. And then you see uh, DK Metcalf right there just make an outstanding catch, just hold the ball against his body. Then he gets behind the defender. And, you know, Drew Locke just puts one right where he has to along the sideline for Metcalf and then boom the touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba it was awesome I mean what a stretch and what a catch and what a throw and I don't know what was going on with the coverage there from the Eagles in that situation where you know that they have to get down the field and score a touchdown but it kind of doesn't matter look I am so impressed with the way that Drew Locke responded especially on that last drive I mean, it's a tough, tough thing for a quarterback when you don't necessarily know if you're going to play or not to stay engaged throughout the week and then get to Monday night. And hey, yeah, you're on the biggest stage with the week, you know, this national profile game. And then you are still able to be able to do all the things that he did. I I, I was really, really impressed with that. It's almost like the Eagles defense, now coordinated by Matt Patricia, not Sean Desai. Desai got exiled to the booth. Patricia down there with the pencil back in his ear, although he probably always had the pencil in his ear anyway. There was just no reason to put a camera on him. It's almost like they dared Drew Locke to beat them. Yes. Like, we'll we'll go ahead. Now, now the, the throw to DK Metcalf, it was into double coverage, and it's just DK Metcalf doing DK Metcalf things. But the throw to Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Drew Locke explained after the game, he told Smith and Jigba before the play, if you're singled, I'm throwing it to you. And it's just a gutsy play, a great throw, a hell of a catch on the back end of the ball. One of those things where it happens so fast, you don't realize the athleticism that is required to make the catch, get yourself in bounds, hold the ball through to the ground, because you are going to the ground there, and win the game. It was amazing. Great moment by Jackson Smith and Jake. But there have been questions about him this year. At one point, people were like, oh, Jake Bobo is better than the guy who was taken in round one. Well, maybe not mm-hmm. after last night. Maybe those questions uh, yeah. have been resolved. That is clutch. That is clutch. And it, it saves the season, or at least 
it delays the inevitable. If they're not going to make it, it's not going to be because of last night. They got to 7-7. Seven and seven. They ended the four-game losing streak. And there's a different vibe now, and they have winnable games down the stretch. They could go 10-7. and seven. Hurts that they got swept by the Rams. That hurts. But still, would have hurt a lot more to lose last night. Well, and look, the, the Rams do not necessarily have the easiest schedule going forward, right? They do play the Saints this week on Thursday night at SoFi Stadium. That's a winnable game based on the kinds of things we've seen from the NFC South, but there is no guarantee there. And then they have to play the 49ers in week 18. And depending on what happens on Monday night between uh, the 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens, the 49ers may need that game or they may not need that game in week 18. So the Seahawks are absolutely still alive in this. And especially with the schedule that they have going forward, I can totally see them going 10 and seven and making it to the postseason, especially because look, and I say this with apologies to you, Mike, Minnesota now is playing Nick Mullins. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks when you're not playing your starting quarterback. Yeah, exactly. It's over. It, 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 it doesn't look great, man. Especially you, you tried two tush push plays on third and fourth down and you need a yard and you can't do it. So there are a lot of positive things that the Seahawks should be able to take out of this. It is still very hard to win in Seattle. That's one of them. You know, it has been very hard to win at Seattle since Pete Carroll took over there. And the Eagles, for whatever reason, have not been able to beat Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks at all in, in, in Carroll's tenure. It really is unbelievable. The only time that Pete Carroll ever lost to the Eagles was 24 years ago today in one of his last games as head coach of the Patriots. He arrived in Seattle in 2010, played the Eagles for the first time as Seahawks coach in 2011, beat Andy Reid once, Chip Kelly once, Doug Peterson five times, and now beat Nick Sirianni for the first time last night. 8-0 Pete Carroll is against the Eagles, and maybe they'll get together again in the postseason. That's another one of those not quite at the same level of my, my my one Christmas wish is that we get Browns-Ravens in the playoffs. I know you would love that. You would especially love it if the Browns win. But I want Joe Flacco in a Browns uniform going back to Baltimore to face the team that once was the Browns. And I know you don't like it when I mention that either. But I want that game. I want that one. I kind of want Seahawks-Eagles. And I really want Rams-Lions. That's the other oh, yeah. one I really want. I want yes. Stafford versus Goff in Detroit. I want that badly. But Me too. Uh, wherever it goes from here, Seahawks very much alive. And you mentioned the 49ers, that idea that, that they, uh, you know, who knows how. How did the 49ers factor into this, by the way? Who do they play? Do they play the Rams one more time? Do they play the Rams yes, one more they, time? Is that what I they missed? They play the Rams okay. one more time. And, they, and obviously they play the, the 49ers on Christmas, excuse me, the, the Ravens on Christmas night. So, you know, that's one of those where do I expect the 49ers to win? Yes, I do. But at the same time, it's not like I can just discount Baltimore, especially with what they've been doing over the last couple of weeks and how good Lamar Jackson is playing. I think the 49ers are going to win by double digits. I think I think we got it all wrong. We we can't sit here and say the 49ers are the best team in football by far and then say, oh, those Ravens may have something. No, they don't. The 49ers players are healthy. I'm surprised the line is only five. The 49ers are going to destroy the Ravens on Monday night. I'm sorry. It's just, that's the way it's going to be. Wow. I mean, look, I mean, think about it from the Ravens perspective. We got to fly cross country on Christmas and play the 49ers. Is Santa fresh out of coal? This is our gift. Are you kidding me? So um, anyway, what was I going to say? Oh, 
If the 49ers have a chance to knock out the Rams, if they have a, if they have a chance to knock out the Rams week 18, this was the point that I was trying to trying to make. Yeah. Don't don't take your foot off the gas. Get the Rams the hell out if you can get them out. You don't want the Rams showing up again in the postseason. And you also yeah. we've seen how many times have we seen that and, and I remember most vividly, it might not be most recently, but I remember most vividly twenty nineteen and the Ravens went through the whole mental gymnastics because remember Mark Ingram, their former running back, had a calf injury and the game next to last week of the season. So that kind of freaked them out. And they pulled all their starters and they had basically had three weeks off. And then they were flat and flat footed against the Titans and they lost that game. Don't take your mm-hmm. foot off the gas if you're the 49ers. If you have a chance to knock out the Rams, you knock out the Rams. So Rams, Seahawks, Vikings, Buccaneers, Saints, the five teams yeah. at seven and seven. Obviously, Bucks or Saints, one of those two likely to win the division. I don't see the. The Falcons pulling it out. So you'll have four teams scrambling for two spots as we go down the stretch. Let's take a look at the last drive by the Eagles. Especially the last play. The Julian Love interception was a thing of beauty. Now, I don't know how much conscious thought goes into that moment. But the idea that he got two feet down. And that left foot. And depending upon which angle you look at. It's like, I'm not sure that left foot hit. There's one angle in particular that makes it clear the left foot hit. Or it was never going to be clear and obvious that it didn't. That's the standard, remember. There's the one. That's the one where you see the foot bounce a little bit. You see the, the toe hit. Different angles. It's like, I don't think the left foot ever hit. That one, it's not as clear. But it was never going to be clear and obvious to overturn the ruling on the field. And I think the first angle we showed would have been enough to overturn a ruling that his foot didn't hit. The right foot clearly did. The left foot got caught up with the leg of a teammate. That interception, now, okay, great play. Memorable ending. Can we play that full play from the beginning? Do we have the full play from the beginning and freeze it before the snap? I don't know what you're doing there. I don't know why you're Mm. throwing that deep. It's 13 seconds to play. Jalen Hurts just got the ball into position where – you're not all that far away with two timeouts in your pocket. You're right. not all that far away from a right. field goal to force overtime. Why in the world are you doing it? Other than, other than you know, the explanation is we're just being aggressive. Well, okay, fine. But there's times where it's smart to not be aggressive. You've got the opportunity with two timeouts. The entire field is open to you. This yeah. isn't just they got to protect the sidelines. You can throw it in the middle. You can run it again. You can do exactly what you just did and get it yeah. to the 40. At the 40, that's a 58-yard field goal. That's makeable. They are not – I don't understand the coaching in that moment. There was so much talk about the defensive coaching of the Eagles. What the hell were they thinking dialing up a deep pass? And I saw, heard somebody after the game say, well, Jalen Hurts made a bad decision there. Not if that's what he was told to do. I don't know right. whose idea that was to throw that ball. But that, that – they, they got what they deserved. F around and find out, as you would say, and others would say. But I learned it from you. Why are you oh, doing you. this? Why are you doing right. this? And well, I, it, I, 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 it, may, it makes no sense to me. I mean, other than F it, A.J. Brown is down there somewhere. Like, that's the other thing that kind of came to mind with this particular play. But you're right. It's not necessarily the best strategy. Unless you think you're catching somebody off guard and you've got the immediate one-on-one, then, yeah, I understand you take that shot down the field to A.J. Brown, but that's not really what that they had. I mean, this is not 
the way that, frankly, the Eagles played Drew Locke, right? They weren't really daring age, or excuse me, Jalen Hurts to just throw it down the field and say, yeah, beat us this way. When you have the middle of the field open from an opportunity standpoint because you have two timeouts left, I think it behooves you to use the middle of the field in some way. Run a double move from the slot, all, all these different kinds of things that you can do. Or if necessary, yeah, Jalen Hurts, just take off, get some yards, get down. And I think what you're saying about it being a 58-yard field goal, if you get down to the 40, we know Jake Elliott can make that, right? It's not necessarily the same as it is in Philadelphia, but a few weeks back, what did we see him do against the Buffalo Bills in a torrential rainstorm? I mean, this guy is a great kicker, so it's not like you weren't going to have opportunities to tie the game up there. And I thought that they would until uh, until Jalen Hurts decides, you know what, we're going to take this deep shot to A.J. Brown. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's the coaching point. I don't know if it's the decision-making by Hurts. But whatever it was, it clearly did not work. And it wasn't the right process in that moment. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Well, the guy who's playing deep safety on that play, who was there before the snap, I, I didn't see him up at the line of scrimmage and then sprint back there. It wasn't yeah. disguised. Julian Love's already picked Jalen Hurts off once. Yes. I, I don't, I just, I don't, I'd love to really break down the thought process. I'd love to know what the play call was, what the read progression is. Was it just Jalen Hurts saying, screw it? You know, they threw a deep one to DK Metcalf. They threw a deep one to Jackson Smith and Jig, but that's Drew Locke. I'm better than Drew Locke. I can do the same thing. Did he see Julian Love and say, hey, he got me earlier. He's not going to get me again. I, I just, I don't know how much conscious thought goes into a moment like that. All I know is it was stupid. Whoever made the decision, it was a stupid decision. I'm not saying the person who made the decision was stupid. I don't know if it was the offensive coordinator. I don't know if it was Nick Sirianni. I don't know if it was Jeffrey Lurie. I don't know who it was. But the decision itself was stupid. You're at the 45-yard line on your own side of the 50. How many times can you remember? Because I, I, this is another one where I was like, holy crap. When the Eagles get the ball back and they put the graphic up and you see three timeouts for the Eagles, how many times does a team get the ball back that late in a game with three timeouts? That's a gift. 
That's it a is. gift that you should not squander or piss away, as the case may be, by throwing it deep. You don't need to throw it deep. You have two timeouts left. You're 15 yards away from a game-tying field goal attempt. What the hell are you thinking? I, I think that one specific decision is going to get lost in, you know, there's a lot of great stuff to focus on. But, man, that was stupid. A stupid decision, maybe by a very smart person, but a stupid decision to throw that ball. Well, yeah, like I said, it's it's, it's bad process. And when you think about the type, the type of talent that the Eagles have offensively, whether you're talking about an A.J. Brown, a Dallas Goddard, you know, a Devontae Smith, a DeAndre Swift who can do things out of the backfield. There are so many guys that they could have turned to in that situation when it's going over the middle of the field. And that's something that the Eagles have done well, you know, make plays over the middle of the field. And when you have that flexibility that the two timeouts allows for you, that's really what makes it a bad decision in terms of going deep down the sideline. It's not like they needed four points. They did not need a touchdown. They All they needed was a field goal to prolong that game and keep things going. And I mean, whether you're on the road or not, I like my chances a lot of the time with Jalen Hurts and the rest of that offense. So it just was, it's one of those things where then I know we're going to talk about this too, where Jalen Hurts starts talking about commitment and processes and everybody's got to be all in and all in on the same page. That to me is like, well, where is the disconnect? You know, is it from the quarterback to the receiver? Is it from the coaching to the quarterback, from the quarterback to the rest of the players on the offense? I don't know, but clearly there is something else that is deeper going on, and maybe that play is just emblematic of it. Let's go there, because I was watching this live on ESPN after the game. They go to the Jalen Hurts press conference already in process, and he's asked a question very specific to the process in the two-minute offense. But the answer to me, and I assume to you as well, and I think anybody else reasonably watching this, it sweeps more broadly than just a failure of the two-minute offense, and it's more of an indictment of the current Philadelphia Eagles. Let's have a listen. I've been talking about execution all year. Um, Been on the same page. Everyone been on the same page, and we didn't execute. Um, I don't think we were... We're uh, we're, uh, committed enough, you know, you know, just, just got to turn it around, you know, um, you know, it's a challenge that we have to embrace, just continue to see it through. What do you mean by that, about being committed enough? Commitment. I don't know know that I had a dictionary on me now, um, excuse me, I don't know. Um, how else to say that? I guess, how are you seeing that present itself? Just, you know, it's a matter of being on the same page. Um, it takes everyone being all in um, in all aspects, and, you know, it, it starts with me. You know, it's the way he said it. I don't know that we're, we're all we're committed enough. Mm-hmm. He's being very careful, but not. And it's almost like right. he was deliberately, deliberately not stammering there, but I don't think we're all, that we're, we're all, we're committed. And, and, and then he, 
he really pulled himself back like he was straying toward being a little bit of an ass. Like, I don't have a dictionary. I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, excuse me. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Commitment. Are we committed? And he prides himself on being a leader. He prides himself. He told me this last year after one of their wins during their dominant season that ended in an almost Super Bowl win. He wanted the team to take on his personality, his idea, his commitment. And it just feels like maybe this year they're not listening the way they did last year. It's not getting through. He kept saying, it all starts with me, it all starts with me, it all starts with me. But it's not like he's asleep at the switch. He's clearly committed. This isn't an issue with his commitment. This is an issue with his inability this year to get through to these kids. Last year he did. This year I think he's having a harder time doing it. Well, it's it's not just him, right? I mean, it, it it's interesting because I took that, you know, the excuse me to be like, I'm not really mad at you in this situation. I'm mad at kind of myself and the way things are turning out here with this team. And to take that out on you in a press conference is really not what I need to be doing. So I kind of found that funny. But also, I think when you look at Jalen Hurts this year, you have to look at the turnovers and the turnover-worthy plays as well. And, you know, he had two picks last night, and both by Julian Love. That second one, yeah, that's that's – a play that you really don't expect anybody to make it. It was outstanding and all of that. But at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts has 17 turnovers, which leads the league along with Josh Allen and you've got Josh Dobbs and then also Sam Howell. And so you don't really necessarily expect Jalen Hurts to be playing like that based on the way he was last year, where just turnovers were not really a thing for him. So that's where I go back to. I don't know if it's disconnect between Jalen Hurts and the coaching, where you have a different offensive coordinator and a different play caller in Brian Johnson than you had last year with Shane Steichen, who's now obviously the head coach of the Colts, or it's something different between Jalen Hurts and the rest of the offensive personnel. I mean, you still got a really, really good offensive line. You've still got a lot of talent there at receiver, but it's just not clicking in the same way that it was in 2022. I think we all know that. And frankly, I did not expect to see the Eagles have a three-game losing streak. But the way that they've been playing, you understand why they keep losing. They're just not all right on offense. And you just, for whatever reason it's not quite working the way we all expect it to work from an offense that was so, so, so dominant and so good last year. That's what's amazing. They go from 10 and one to 10 and four. And at 10 and one now early in the year, and this was a point that Chris Sims would make. They're not really dominant. They're still winning and they're feasting on a phase of their schedule. That wasn't as challenging as what they've seen recently. But they were still moving and getting it done. And the whole brotherly shove, tush, push, whatever we are going to call it, shortens the sticks. First and 10, no. First and nine, first and eight Mm -hmm. is more like it. And we just see that happen. And we see them, it feels inevitable every week. It felt inevitable last night. That's what made it so weird. Like, I thought the Eagles were going to win before I knew Geno Smith wasn't going to play. If you'd have given me the opportunity before kickoff to bet the farm on the Eagles with Drew Locke playing, I would have taken it. 
That's what makes last night so strange because the Eagles had lost two in a row. The Eagles have an opportunity to get back to the top of the division and not be the five seed. They're still holding out hope of chasing down the 49ers for the one seed, knowing the 49ers have the Ravens next week. The ingredients were there for the Eagles to get right again. But you know what? The Eagles didn't realize the ingredients were there for the Seahawks to get right again. We just didn't realize it. I didn't see it. They didn't see it. And now they're left to pick up the pieces after this three-game losing streak. The only good news is if they're ever going to go 3-0 to end a season, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, mm-hmm. if they lose any of these next three games, maybe mm-hmm. they will go one and out in the playoffs. And even if they win these games convincingly, the fact that we've seen them lose now, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks, three of the better teams in the conference, are they going to be ready to win in the postseason? especially if and when they have to go on the road? That's a great question. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think that what you make, the point you make right there is absolutely right because how are we going to really judge this team off of doing what they really ought to do to the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Giants again, right? These are two teams that just are not really good, okay? We understand that there's not much for those other teams to really play for, and the Eagles have to get right. The Eagles have to be able to play better in these next three and figure their stuff out, you know? So you do have a new defensive play caller. Let's be a dominant defense over these next three weeks. Let's remove all doubt, okay? Offensively, let's make sure that everything is the way it needs to be between now and the end of the regular season so that we can be buttoned up and sewn up and have our good vibes going into the playoffs because the vibes right now, they're bad, all right? It's a totally bad vibe, especially when you get the quarterback talking about at the podium commitment and whatever else that needs to happen for the rest of this team. That's not what you need when you're playing December football. It's not a good sign going forward if the quarterback is talking about commitment right now. Okay, I mean, that's just not something that you can have happen and then expect that you're going to all of a sudden be successful, which is why it was such a, a, a jarring comment for him to say at the podium in that moment. And, you know, look, he's somebody that flew separately from the team because he wasn't feeling well. He was ill. He was sick. You know, whether we want to say it was a, a flu game and all that, they're playing up the narrative or not, I don't know. But at a certain point, he's also got to look and say, yeah, it's part of it is me too. And I know he says it starts with me, and I, I believe that he believes that. But there's a way where Jalen Hurts has got to cut down on those turnovers And those things will also help the Eagles still be successful. The first Julian Love interception, the throw from Hurts, and it worked when he did it in the Super Bowl, is just kind of throw it up there and let my guy go get it. I mean, there isn't a lot of precision-guided football on those throws. He trusts his guys to go get it. But there is a point where you might be on the wrong side of – being careful with the ball where it's just throw it up there just heave it and that's what he did he just kind of heaved it and the last one had that same vibe to it as well now when your guys are able to go get it fine but clearly we saw in those two moments not that's not randy moss back there i'll do respect it wasn't randy moss and i know aj brown's great but he's not randy moss at the end either so you, you just you just can't you you can't throw a, a 50-50 ball like that unless you're confident you've got a guy back there 
who's going to make it 60-40 or 70-30 or higher. I guess that's my point. Yes. So, you know, it wasn't like guy is open and Jalen Hurts threads the needle. It's like, I'm going to let my guy go get it. That's fine when it's A.J. Brown on that play. Now, it was double coverage, and it was a great play by Julian Love, and it was just a weird – we've already talked about that. It was just weird. I mean, maybe A.J. Brown would have had a better shot at getting the throw to the end zone. But we had two turnovers on moments that weren't really, you know, the traditional read the field, see who's open, deliver the ball to the open guy. It's just more let it fly and hope for the best. And when you do that, there's a chance that the best is going to happen or the worst is going to happen. Well, when you, when you throw, three things can happen and two of them are bad, right? But, I mean, I would say that Quez Watkins is not A.J. Brown either. You know, so if you're going to throw up a 50-50 right. ball to somebody on the Philadelphia Eagles, you want it to be A.J. Brown, right? Or you want it to be Devontae Smith in second place because, look, Devontae Smith, despite his size, is great at going up for passes. It's part of the thing that makes him such a darn good receiver. So I think in that situation, you've got to know what the matchup is, right? Because Watkins versus Love, Mm, I don't necessarily know if that's exactly where you want to go with it because it's a true 50-50 ball instead of the 75-25 where you've got it if you've got an A.J. Brown in that situation. He's one-on-one, you know what I mean? So that's also where the decision-making is kind of like, eh, yeah, you do have the one-on-one, but is Quez Watkins really the guy that you want to take that one-on-one shot with, especially on in that situation where if you go down and you score a touchdown – you might end the game. You know, if you can continue to put a good drive together instead of just going for the kill shot right there, then you have a much, much better shot of putting the game away. So that's where, yeah, you, you, I don't know about going one-on-one to Quez Watkins in that situation. And something I heard Troy Aikman say a couple of times last night that just struck me as a little bit odd. He was talking about criticism of the Eagles because they don't throw the ball to more guys. It's like, if I got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, that's who I'm only ever throwing to. What's, yes. Like, I've never heard Sprinkle a team get criticized. Like, like, what was Aikman ever criticized for only throwing to Michael Irvin and Alvin Harper? Like, I don't understand that. And I, apparently there was something out there that Aikman was reacting to, but – it's kind of a dumb point to try to suggest that you need to spread the ball around more. Look at what happened. Like you said, if it was A.J. Brown on that play that Love intercepted the first time, much better chance. It's a touchdown, and it's a backbreaker for the the Seattle Seahawks, and the Eagles would have won that game, and we would be having a much different con- uh, conversation today. Speaking of conversations and relationships and back and forth, Drew Locke after the game talking about his current relationship with the guy who stood there in uniform and did not play, and nobody knew he wasn't playing until just before the start of the game. Pete Carroll pulled it off. He kept it close to the vest all the way until kickoff. Geno Smith didn't play. Here's Locke talking about his relationship with Geno Smith. That's like an an unsung hero in these last two weeks, man. Um, The encouragement that he's given me, the little pep talks here and there, helping in the film room, it just... It was so cool that, like, when roles flipped and I was going to have to go be the starter, he did the same thing for me that I was trying to do for him. Um, that's just an unselfish dude in there, man. Um, I appreciate him more than words can describe. Um, talking to me before that two-minute, you know, you're the best player on this field. You're going to lead us down this field right now. Go get it done. 
you know, just things like that, man. It's just, it's really cool. This is a really special quarterback room, including Sean when he came in here these last couple weeks. Just a savvy vet, man. Knows a lot about ball, and it's really comforting having him in the room. Um, ah, it's just an awesome group. Hey, and it really is selfless because, look, it's a team sport. But the individuals have contracts. And Geno Smith's mm-hmm. contract, even though it was much ballyhooed as three years, $100 million or whatever it was, it's a one-year deal. Seahawks can rip it up and escape it after this season. And I'm not saying they're going to do that and say, Drew Locke, you're our guy after last night. But if Geno Smith doesn't come back soon, Pete Carroll said after the game he expects Geno to play this week, but he probably said something similar after their last game and Geno Smith didn't play. But there's something to be said for riding the hot hand and seeing how far the hot hand can take you. And they, they didn't accidentally give him a contract that allowed them to make a decision after this year. They wanted to see it again. They wanted to see it again. And it was close last year between him and Drew Locke. And now they're getting to see it from Drew Locke. And a win like last night's is something that is hard for a coach to forget. When that guy delivers in that moment, it is hard to forget. Because how many guys do we see can play well for the first 58 minutes of the game and then can't in a moment like that? When you do that and you create the confidence that if we get in that spot again, you might be able to do it again. That counts for something. And I give Geno Smith credit for doing everything he can to help Drew Locke do it because the better Drew Locke plays, the more at risk Geno Smith's contract becomes. That's true, but I also, as good as Drew Locke played in that, or as well as Drew Locke played, excuse me, in that last bit, in those throws that he Columbia. made. Columbia, oh, Columbia. Columbia strikes uh, again. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, wow. it's, it's, a, it's a little early out here. All right, uh, give give me a little grace. <laughs> but as, as well as Drew Lock played on those last couple uh, last couple throws, I mean, you can't necessarily ignore everything else that happened in, over the course of the game. And there were throws that Drew Lock did not make. And I'm a fan of Drew Lock. I have been ever since he was singing Jeezy or rapping Jeezy on the sideline against the Raiders in Week 17 of the 2019 season. So I, I like to see him do well. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me, because sometimes quarterbacks, they get to the podium and they start saying stuff and they start kind of telling tales that make things seem better than they really are. And I think sometimes that happens, especially with quarterbacks and backups and all these different things. And I've seen it before, but you could tell that Drew Locke was really telling the truth there because when Drew Locke made that throw, Jackson Smith and Jigba, they cut to Geno Smith on the sideline. And you could see that Geno Smith was doing the same celebration as Drew Locke. And you could tell that he was legitimately happy for everything that Drew Locke had just done. So I give Geno Smith so much credit for not only helping Drew Locke prepare, but helping Drew Locke in that moment, right? And then celebrating with his teammate. Because not everybody's going to do that, especially not a quarterback. And... You know, I just had this vision of a possibility where the Seahawks quarterbacks continue to be over the next five years, Smith and Locke. And maybe it's kind of a constant competition as to who plays and the other guy constantly supports and understands. So, and maybe it will be Smith and maybe Locke will stay. I don't know. After last night, there aren't many great quarterbacks out there. There aren't many guys that can get it done. 
I've said there aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around in the NFL currently. Drew Locke has to be a guy who's getting some notice. Hell, Joe Flacco was getting some notice. One of the things I noticed in Peter King's column yesterday, Joe Linta, who represents Flacco, said a couple of teams called last Monday when Flacco was technically a free agent and wanted to sign Joe Flacco. People notice this kind of stuff. I'm paying attention to Drew Locke if I'm trying to figure out who my quarterback is going to be for 2024 after last night. So maybe they won't have the the luxury of that shared relationship where they can help boost each other. Maybe Locke will be moving on, or maybe Gino will be moving on, or maybe one will, one won't, maybe both will. Who the hell knows? All I know is this. Locke was great last night, and the Seahawks are in position to make things happen in this cluster of 7-7 and teams in the NFC. One last thing to consider coming out of that game. Maybe a couple others. Well, we still got more time. The defensive change for the Eagles. The word came out on Sunday. It was just weird how stuff comes out. Like, Jay Glazer reported it, and it's a pretty big deal. And Jay Glazer reported it in a way that created the impression that Sean Desai no longer has the title. He's being exiled to the booth or to some other job. Matt Patricia takes over as defensive coordinator and calls the plays. Now, there was other reporting after the fact that Desai is still the defensive coordinator, but still, he's not running the defense. I mean, I think it's cosmetic at this point. Matt Patricia has been given the reins to the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles. Here is Nick Sirianni after the game talking about the decision to entrust the defense to Patricia. Yeah, I made the decision. Um, I did what I thought I needed to do in the in the best interest of the, the football team. I didn't feel like, um, you know, we made some adjustments there. I didn't feel like we were playing well enough and coaching well enough on defense, so I made an adjustment. Um, and it was my decision, and that's, what, and that's what I did. It was a tough decision to be able to do this. Uh, but, again, like I said, I did what I felt like was best for our football team. We're always making adjustments. Um, and and that's what I did. Who makes the final stays on defense? Coach Patricia. I wish I would have thought of that because there was a time in the past couple of weeks that Sims and I were talking about the struggles of the Eagles' defense, and I said, I mean, all due respect to Sean Desai, but this isn't young Bill Belichick. I mean, this is a guy who had a couple of moments, and it never quite worked out rose to the defensive coordinator position with the Bears and got washed out with the last staff and then was in Seattle for a little bit, lands in Philadelphia as a defensive coordinator after Jonathan Gannon moves on. I wish I would have realized Matt Patricia's there because at some point the guy who was longtime defensive coordinator of the Patriots does become better option to the guy who just kind of graduated the job of defensive coordinator with the Bears. It didn't work out. He's kind of been hanging around. I'm, again, I'm not saying he didn't deserve the opportunity. All I'm right. saying is let's not get this twisted up into thinking that this is a proven year-in and year-out defensive mastermind. Not that Patricia is either. But, but people are like, well, what's wrong with the defense? Well, maybe it's a step down from Jonathan Gannon to Sean Desai. And now the Eagles doing what they can to try to get themselves boosted back up. And, you know, it worked until it didn't. Patricia was calling those defenses on that last drive of the game when he got sliced and diced by Drew Locke, Miles. Yeah, he was. And, you know, one of the things that I think they most needed to correct was third down defense. You don't expect the Philadelphia Eagles to be last in third down defense based on the way we know they can rush the passer, right? Based on the way we know guys can cover in the secondary. You just, 
you don't expect that to be the case. And so that I think is probably one of the biggest reasons why Nick Sirianni decided to make a change. Now, the, the Seahawks ended up going six of 14 on third down in that game or four twelve before that, uh, that final drive, I believe it was. So it, it's not like things all of a sudden, you know, completely got better, but they didn't get any worse. So that's one of the things where maybe Matt Patricia over these next few games, especially against teams like the giants and Cardinals, you see that improvement, but that's the biggest thing to me. Can you improve on third down? Can you actually get off the field so that teams aren't sustaining drives on you? Because in turn, that's going to help the offense, right? You get more opportunities. The more you get off the field on third down. So you get more plays, you get the chance to see, okay, can we sustain our own drives? Can we do what we need to do offensively? So yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the magic elixir for the Seahawks, excuse me, for the Eagles defense. But I think at a certain point when you're dead last in third down defense, then you have to try something else. And the fact that Matt Patricia was already in the building, it makes it a little bit easier to then try that something else. I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but it does remind me of all that weirdness that happened with Jonathan Gannon. He's staying and then he leaves, and Vic Fangio mm-hmm. possibly could have been the defensive coordinator, and there was some sort of frustration about all that, but they could have had Fangio. They could have hired Patricia from the get-go, but there was kind of a weird however things fell out for him in Philadelphia or in New England, excuse me, but the bottom line is he's calling the plays now, and last night, ultimately, it did not work. The Seahawks won the game. Um, do we have the – there's a couple other things I want to mention. There was the moment on the sideline that reminded us all of the Big Dom incident, and especially the memo that was sent out by the league office after the Big Dom incident in the 49ers-Eagles game where it made it clear to any sideline personnel, basically, stay out of it. Now, see that little shoulder there? I'm not sure. Somebody said that that was an inactive player. I don't know what the rules are for the inactive players, but if you're not in uniform, you're not a player in the game, Whoever that guy is, he he threw a shoulder to A.J. Brown. Undeniable. He did something that crossed the line. And the memo that came out from the league office after the Big Dom incident was that basically thou shalt not interact with the players. No contact, no insults, no taunts. Stay away from the players. So play that again because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. And I definitely don't want the Eagles fans to say, Bring that same big Dom energy that you brought to him. <laughs> right? What? Did that come out the way I intended? Anyway, it watch. Did. Boom. It was just very shoulder. funny. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Shoulder. I mean, can we take that back? Whoever that guy is needs to have the same penalty that was imposed on big Dom. Get that guy's ass off the sideline. Whoever you are, if you're an inactive player, it doesn't matter. You can't do that. He put the shoulder at A.J. Brown. And and some people will say, well, why wasn't he ejected like Dre Greenlaw? Well, he didn't try to punch him in the face, right? Yeah. And that might have been overreaction, what they did with Dre Greenlaw. But he gets in the guy's face, and he's taunting him back. That was another thing from the memo, thou shalt not taunt. There it is. Watch, watch. Boom. We all know that move. Some of us have done that move. Some of us have had that move done to us. We know that shoulder move. Oh, yeah. 
So that let's not forget about that little wrinkle there. There should be some sort of punishment for the guy trying to go incognito with the hood up over his head and the glasses. I have no idea who that is, but whoever it is, get his ass off the sideline, period. Cause, and I'm glad it happened because now maybe I can convince these Eagles fans it's not some anti-dom. It doesn't matter who it was. You're down there. You have the privilege of standing on the sideline and watching a game when your job is to basically stand there and do nothing. You know, you and I have had the conversation about there's too many people on the sidelines. What, what, what was that guy's purpose last night? What was he doing to help the cause of the Seattle Seahawks? What was he doing? Other than maybe I'll get lucky and I'll get this guy to throw a punch at me and he'll get ejected. What other well, purpose I, did he serve? He's just standing there watching the game. If, if he isn't an active player, if he's a practice squad player, he's a member of the team. So that's why he's on the sideline. Again, I, I don't also, I, do, I don't know who that was. So I can't necessarily speak to who it is and all that. But that's what I would say is that if he isn't an active player or if he's a practice squad player, he's a member of the team. And members of the team get to be on the sideline because you're a player and you help well, but maybe, you maybe, know, establish but, the game plan and all those types of things. So like, that's why he's out. there. Get out. If you're going to do right. that, you, get out. You lose your yes. privilege. Yes. I also agree with you there, right? You can't necessarily be on the sideline and be a part of things and be a part of the team, especially if you're going to act like an ass when an opposing player happens to be on your sideline and you give him the shoulder like that. That's not something that we need to be doing. So, yeah, if that's the case, then you don't need to be there. But I think generally players and active players, practice squad players, they deserve to be on the sideline because they are also a part of the team. But you can't be some you can't do things that are stupid like that that are to the detriment of your own team, right? You have to actually be a decent person on the sideline and not do stupid stuff. I just think that at some point, and they've they've streamlined the number of people who are on the sidelines during games. I think at some point they need to ask each person, each individual, each job, each status, does that body, does that human being need to be right there among all the other human beings as we're trying to run a football game. Because I don't see what the purpose of that guy being there, other than he deserves it because he's on the team. That's, I don't that's see the reason purpose enough. of him being there, and it just creates a problem. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's reason. Uh, maybe it's geez. not reason enough. Maybe that's for somebody else to decide, not you or me. All right, we got to take a break. When we return, as I said earlier, fine. Well, we could just keep going for two hours and both get fired. We could do that, too, and get fired the week of Christmas. But I don't want that, and I don't think you want that either. When we return, as I said earlier, there aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around. Some bad quarterbacks are being benched, and other bad quarterbacks will be playing this weekend. More PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.